Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. I, I have the job of doing the fifth installment uh, in reality of this series called The Greatest Story Ever. One story one hero. Can we pray together? Thank you, Lord Jesus. I have learned so much just studying this topic. You've reminded me of so much. Thank you for this, for the learning experience. As I just speak with my brothers and sisters about this topic, May my tongue be the tool of a ready writer. You being the writer. May the words that proceed out of my mouth clearly articulate what it is that you want to say to your children. Thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One story, one hero. That has been the essence of the last four weeks. One story, one hero. We looked at, on Good Friday, there is an echo. Am I, am I hearing that right? Okay, thank you, Mpo. Really grateful. Um, on Good Friday, we looked at the significance of the cross. On Easter Sunday, we looked at the living among the dead. Two weeks ago, we looked at creation story. And last week, we looked at the fall. The summary is, from before time to when time will not exist, there is only one hero. You know, I would like to be the hero And I work really hard to be the hero. In my home, at work, in church, I really work hard to be the hero. But God reminded me this week, before time, when Genesis happened, when creation happened in Genesis, when the fall happened, to Cain and Abel, to Noah's journey, to the journey of Abraham to Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Israel in Egypt, Israel out of Egypt, and so on and so forth. From Alpha to Omega, there is only one hero. There is only one hero in this story. And that hero is passionately pursuing you and me to be part, to be beside him when the curtains on this earth that we live in, when the curtains draw down to a close. There is only one hero. You know, the Lemobadi family, we are lovers of some of Marvel's movies. Some of them, some of them are terrible. But some of them are really, really great movies, especially the Avengers. We love the Avengers. We love Avengers, the age of Ultron. 
we love Avengers Infinity War, and we love the last. Well, hopefully the last. You know, in Hollywood, there is never a last. You think it's the last until the next one comes up. I'm not going to follow this rabbit, but there was a while ago, I watched, I can't remember which series it was, whether it's Days of Our Lives or something, and someone died in the Days of Our Lives, and you saw the person dead, and then a few years later, the person is back. So anyway, I'm not going to follow. <laughs> I remember vividly watching Avengers Infinity War. And you see, the story of the Avengers is that the good guys always win. They always win because they are protecting the earth. I remember vividly watching Infinity War. And at the end of Infinity War, I was not happy. I stood up thinking, no, something is not right here. You know why? Because the bad guy won in that movie. Thanos. He extinguished or he sent into oblivion a certain proportion of the human race. And the movie ended there. And I thought, this is not right. You know why? Because we love heroes. Scripture says in Romans 8, it says, even creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So we are, there is an expectancy that good will always triumph over evil. The script has been written. There are two opposing sides, not three, just two, in this story. God's side and Satan's side. And there is only one winning side. There is only one hero. His name is Jesus. And he is pursuing you. He is pursuing me because he wants us to be with him when this side of eternity, mortality, when it ceases to exist. He wants us beside him. You know, in Hebrews 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at different times, at different, in different ways. But in these days he had spoken to us through his Son, who he has appointed inheritor of all things, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, who when he had purged our sins, ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he has obtained a more excellent name than the angels, seeing that by inheritance he is more excellent than the angels. For unto which of the angels did God say at any time, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he shall be my son. For when he brought his first begotten into the world, he said, and let all the angels worship him. For are not angels spirits 
and his servant flames of fire. But concerning the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever. And the scepter of your kingdom is a right scepter. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, even your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness above your fellows. And again he says, and this is where I'm going, in Hebrews 1. He says, in the beginning, O Lord, you made, you laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They shall perish. Full stop. This earth, what you and I see as certain, will perish. He says, like a garment. He says, they shall perish, but you shall remain. Like an old garment, they will fade away. Like an old coat, you will fold them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. That's the earth and the heavens. But you shall remain. Now, that scripture makes it clear that what you and I see as tangible today will one day cease to exist. Because there is one hero. And he is creating, he is making a kingdom for himself. And he wants you and I beside him when that time comes. So, I have the honor, like I said earlier, of doing the fifth installment. By the way, that was introduction. <laughs> the fifth installment is Israel. And the target scripture is 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 12. And we read together. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Now can you imagine for 40 years of your life, for those of you who are not 40, for as many years of your life, can you imagine every day having a cloud following you as you go about life during the day? At night, it's a pillar of fire. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being called, that is Moses' child, you better don't touch. Can you imagine? That's how the nations feared Israel. They belong to Moses. Moses was the one who holds the staff of God in his hands, who experienced God in this way and that way. Don't touch these ones. They are special. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and food is ready for you? Can you imagine in the evening, supper is sorted? 
It comes to you. You don't have to do anything about it. This is the story that Paul is communicating to the Corinthian church. He says, this is Israel. They experienced the cloud. They experienced the fire. They were baptized into Moses. They ate the same spiritual food, manna in the morning, quail at night. And it was Christ, Christ, Christ all the way. Nevertheless, sadly, when you, when you see that, you know something is coming, isn't it? <laughs> Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That was at the foot of Mount Sinai when Moses went up to commune with God the first time. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. That was when Israel embraced the Moabites and intermarried the Moabites against the law of God in Numbers 21. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. This was when Israel accused Moses and God of bringing them into the wilderness to kill them. It was brazen. It wasn't, there was a brazen aspect, which was the complaining, and there was the murmuring aspect, which happened quietly in their homes. This God, this God, this God. Scripture says, do not be like them. Now, these things happened in verse 11 to them as an example. And you notice the highlighted, the white text. But they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Warning for me. Warning for you. If you're so confident, if you're overconfident about your faith, if you think that you're a god, you're not mortal, it says take heed. Be very careful. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The scripture is speaking to us about what happened to Israel and the fact that we need to learn some lessons. The scripture is coming as a warning. So the question is, what examples shouldn't we follow and what do we need to be warned about? 
there are three things, three aspects of Israel's journey that I'd like to just focus on during the time that we have left this afternoon. The first is Egypt. The second is the wilderness. The third is the promised land. And please note, in each one of these aspects of Israel's journey, God is pursuing Israel. He is pursuing them. He is not letting them go. He is angry sometimes. He punishes them sometimes, but he's still passionately pursuing them. Egypt. Egypt. Now, I'm not sure if there's anyone here from Egypt. Uh, this is not about you or current Egypt. But I can assure you that for Israel, Egypt was bondage. It was bondage. 430 years, exactly, it says in Scripture. 430 years. Israel was incapable of freeing themselves for 430 years. I suspect, that's my suspicion, that there may have been insurrections. There may have been groups of people at some point in the 430 years who thought, we don't want this. We want to free ourselves. So we're going to do one, two, three, four, five. Now, it makes it very difficult if you are born in Egypt. Okay. It's one thing if you were carried into Egypt as free and made a slave. But if you are born in Egypt, then what happens is that your entire worldview is based on the Egyptian worldview. Your entire paradigm about freedom and slavery is driven by the society and the environment where you are. So my sense is that when Israel thought about freedom, who do you think they looked at? The Egyptians. That was the only comparison. The Egyptians are free. We are in bondage. So you can imagine, if your grandparents were born in Egypt, and you look at your people and you think, I would like to be free, your your reference point for freedom will be who? The Egyptians, correct? Okay, so they knew no other life. The picture of freedom was Egypt free. A few weeks ago, I met a young man just before the service, just by the entrance there. Hi, how are you doing? Fine, thank you. Within a minute, he told me, I'm in a dark place, and I need this. I need God. After the service, we met again for a few minutes. And he said to me, after the service, it's all right. I'll take care of things. It is impossible to save yourself. I communicated clearly to him, listen, you cannot save yourself. I remembered myself as a young man trying my best, and I'm not sure how many of you have tried this, where you say, when everything is all right, I come to Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. When I'm sorted, I come to Jesus. It is impossible to save yourself because I was born in Egypt. 
the ideology of salvation that I had before I met Christ was the ideology of Egypt. Therefore, when God speaks about salvation and God's hands are stretching out for me, God's reference point is not Egypt. God's reference point is the promised land. You cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. Romans 3 verse 10 says, there is none righteous, not one. Romans 3 verse 23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look at the person beside you. Wave or say high-five, Bluetooth something, make them smile. You and the person you looked at are part of all who have sinned. All have sinned. There is none righteous. All have sinned. None can save themselves. Romans 5 verse 8 says God demonstrates his love for us, his passion, his pursuit of us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. For what purpose? That whosoever believes in him shall be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. Acts 4 verse 12. No other name. There is only one name. And that name is the name of Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved. So what do I do? And I guess that's what Israel did. It took them about 400 or so years before they started calling out to God. It says in Scripture, God, God speaking to Moses for the first time, I have heard the cry of my people. I suspect they only started crying at that time. Yeah. I have heard the cry of my people, and I have come to save them. How do I become saved? I cry out to the Lord. Yeah. It's very simple. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, there is only one hero. That hero is not you. That hero is not me. I can't save myself. And that hero is pursuing me every day. The wilderness. Here is the map of Israel's journey with the red arrows showing you how they traveled for 40 years. What is the wilderness? The wilderness is the only way to the promised land. It's the only way. The wilderness is the only transition from Egypt to the promised land. 
The wilderness is the season or the location where many of us are today. It's the place where, or the season where many of us will be at some point in our journey. Or it's a place or season where we will often wander into, or where God will permit us to be. Just for history, just, just to revive some of your history, Moses was in the wilderness for how long? Forty years? when he was in exile, running away from Pharaoh, and he came back and he spent another 40 years. Okay. Elijah was in the wilderness for how long? Three years in obedience to the Lord, and there was a 40-day trip when he was fleeing from Jezebel. The wilderness was where Jesus went to. Scripture says, and the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. You remember? For 40 days and for 40 nights. But it also records in Scripture that Jesus often retreated into the wilderness, out of choice. So, what is the purpose of the wilderness? It is a place to unlearn Egypt and to learn the promised land. It is. It is a place where we either resist God or we submit to God. The wilderness is the place where we unlearn Egyptian culture. And we learn lordship culture. I believe the Lord asked me a question when I was preparing this. I hadn't thought about it before. I don't think I had. I was reading the book of Exodus. And the Lord, in Exodus 20, that's where the Ten Commandments were given. And the Lord asked me, I sense the Spirit of God asks me, why do you think I only gave the commandments at this time? Why didn't I give the commandments when Israel was in Egypt? Have you ever asked, have you ever asked yourself the question? Why were the commandments only given at the, at the foot of Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai? And usually when I sense the Lord ask me questions like that, I know a revelation is coming. I know light is coming. So I'm getting excited. And, I <laughs> and so here am I. And I sense the Lord say, to change kingdom culture, you have to change kingdom. You cannot change Egyptian culture while you are in Egypt. So it is impossible to experience the kingdom of God as one who does not believe in God. It's impossible. It's, it's impossible. 
it is impossible to learn freedom culture when you're in bondage. It's impossible. So God had to take them out of Egypt, take them into the wilderness, and say, here is kingdom culture. And in Exodus, you know, it's interesting. Just before the Lord gave the Ten Commandments, you see, he didn't just roll out the Ten Commandments and say, do not, do not, do not. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, the first thing that God says to Israel is, I am the Lord, your God. That is what we learn in the wilderness. We learn lordship. Lordship. Not just I am Elohim, this awesome God, this God who does quantum miracles. I am also Yahweh, the Lord. I am the Lord of the detail of every aspect of your life. I want to know what you think, how you think, what influences what you think, what you do, what you say or don't say, where you go, what you wear, how you smell, whether you take a bath or not, what you eat, everything. I want to be, that's lordship. It is God saying, I am God of this detail. Because I read Exodus and I thought, you get to some points in Exodus, especially the last 10 chapters where it talks about God's instructions about the tabernacle and the priests. And it's like, but God, I read that, I read that last paragraph. Why do you have to repeat it again now? And I sense God say, the lordship, my lordship, is in the detail of your lives. I want total allegiance. Not just he is the God of Israel. Okay, and here is Egyptian culture. This is, this is the idolatrous culture that Israel took into the promise, into, uh, that Israel exited Egypt with. We create gods. Idolatry. We determine how they look. They do not speak nor hear us so we can complain and grumble and murmur. That was what they were doing in the wilderness. They can't hear us. They are often asleep. Once in a while, they wake up and there is a miracle that happens. They visit us. Can you remember the story in the book of Acts where the metal smiths, um, there was an uproar in, uh, in the city of, uh, is it Athens? Athens, yes. Um, 
and they claim that Venus suddenly visited the city and therefore they created idols to, to worship this god. So, we create our gods. They don't hear us. We tell them how we will worship them. Sexual immorality. There were certain temples that were dedicated to gods where the priests were priestess who were prostitutes. We tell them how we're going to worship them, these gods. And we convince ourselves that these gods somehow deal in the affairs of men. If they do not see or hear us, we can do exactly what we wish to do. How does God change culture? Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yeah. How does God change culture? From Egyptian culture to the promised land culture, he gives his word. His word is light. In the wilderness, the light shines on Egyptian culture in me. And I get uncomfortable. I squirm. I'm frustrated because God... You know, I'm not sure how many of you experience this. You give your heart to the Lord and you kind of walk out feeling, I'm good. I've given my life to the Lord. He's with me. Everything is going well. I pray, answers happen. I pray for you, God hits you. So I, I'm, I'm cool, I'm, I'm cool. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. A few weeks later, God says, repent. Okay. Yes, Lord, I repent, it's okay. Before I move here, God says, mm -mm -mm, you don't say that. The Spirit of God begins to instruct you, to correct you, and begins to tell you, this is the righteous way, not that way. This way. Turn this way. Spend time praying. No, I don't want to spend time praying. I pray for you in Jesus' name. It didn't happen like it happened three weeks ago. The Spirit of God says, no, no, no. You need to spend time with me. This is not, I'm not an answering machine. I am Lord Yahweh. I want to be Lord of every aspect of your life. So I'm changing kingdom culture here. Right. So he's changing. And sometimes the wilderness can be a frustrating place for a lot of us. Very simply because that's where the light shines. <clears throat> Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? By the word of God. So what do I do when I'm in the wilderness? 
and my honeymoon seems to have kind of fizzled out and I'm in this place where God and I are interacting. It's good, but sure, the correction, the, the transformation is not, it's not hard, it's not easy. What do I do? I recognize when the Spirit of God taps me, I repent. Repent is not just saying sorry, it's I turn to God. I say sorry and I turn to God and I receive the word, the engrafted word of God which can save my soul. Transformation is happening. It is happening. It is happening. God reminded me of this song and I'm going to test how many of you have known, have been in the Christian world for a while. There is a gentleman called Ron Kenoli. I'm not sure how many of you know him. Integrity Music. There was a song he sang. I love that song. It's just been ringing in my mind all week. The song is, If you catch hell, don't hold it. If you're going through hell, don't stop. If you catch hell, don't hold it. If you're going through hell, don't stop. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Don't stop. Now, I know how many of you... <laughs> Don't stop. Don't give up in the wilderness. Sometimes it is tough. Don't give up. Hold on to God and know that the Lord is working a transformation in your life. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to just close on this slide. Oh, well, not the slide, this but one. The third aspect of Israel's journey is the promised land. In Exodus 3, interestingly, you know, I thought, I thought to myself, it is possible that God didn't prepare Israel for the promised land. That's why the promised land was a bit difficult for them. But the first encounter that the Lord had with Moses in Exodus 3, interesting, I went back there and I read the scripture and I thought, oops. God says, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land and a land flowing with milk and honey. Full stop. Full stop? Full stop? But that's all Israel remembered. Full stop. A land flowing with milk and honey. How many of us gave our lives to Christ and we thought, it's all good? <laughs> the preacher said to you, it's all good. If you come to Christ, you'll be a millionaire next month. Nothing bad will happen to you. You will never be challenged in life. But God made it clear. Part B. To the place of the Canaanites. <laughs> the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. My goodness, how could Israel expect that they were just walking? 
And the guys will say, oh, yeah, welcome. Okay, bye, you can have the land. We're good. But that's what they expected. That's why they complained. And they murmured, God, why, why, why? The promised land is A plus B. It is a land of abundance, definitely, because the presence of God is with us in the promised land. But it's also a land worth fighting for. It's a land worth fighting for. It is not A or B. It is not B or A. It is A plus B. And you know why the promised land is a land worth fighting for? Because the promised land that God promised Israel is a type of the promised land that he's promised all of us. In Revelations 21, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's the promised land that we are going to. Hallelujah. It says in that land there will be no death, no mourning, there will be no tears, there will be no crying. That's the land we're going to. The land that God may have us here where we're experiencing abundance is a type of the heaven that God is preparing for. There is only one hero, and he wants you and I beside him when the time comes. Let's rise together. Can we just close our eyes? When God called us, He called us from Egypt to give us a new kingdom, a new vision, a new heart. God take us. He take us. He loves us so much that He constantly are at work in our lives. Constantly working in our hearts and constantly developing and creating in us a kingdom culture. Because He has a promised land that is uphold to us. And yes, it's going to ask persistence. It's going to ask us to call upon Him as the Lord of our lives. And if you are here this morning and this word has spoken to you and you find yourself still in the land of Egypt, we want to give you the opportunity to raise your hands and say, Preacher, pray for me. Says, Tim, can you please pray for me? Is there anyone? 
Thank you. Seated hands. Can I ask those brothers who raise their hands if you come and join us up front here, if you don't mind, if you can bring your stuff with. You say, Tiam, pray with me today and stand with me today. So I need to lay down Egypt. Can I ask you to come and join us up front, please? Can we give them a hand? They come. Thank you. Come, yes, can we, can, can we give them a hand? Thank you. 